Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of graphic novel and comics news, uh, sometimes recorded live at the offices of New York, but right now, this is Heidi McDonald, and we are at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, and uh, it is an incredible show. This is day four. That's why I sound like this. There's been so much talk, so much excited chatter about comics, about graphic novels, uh, about Seattle's coffee, uh, so uh, that's why I've lost my voice, but right now I am sitting with Damien Wassel, you are the publisher, CEO and publisher, CEO and publisher of Vault Comics, now Vault, uh, you might have heard of them, but if you have, you're certainly going to be hearing more about them, uh, and you kind of, this is the biggest presence I've seen from Vault here at Emerald City, Damien. Yeah, well, so this is the second time we've ever done this show. Last year we were here with Half an Artist Alley Table and two single issues. Uh, we're shortly a year after our, our one-year anniversary of having titles on the shelf, and we have 14 titles, our first OGN, the first trade paperback of Heathen, and uh, we really tried to go big to, to make a big splash at the show. Nice banner over the escalator. Right. To catch some attention. Right, right. Uh, why did you pick this show, though, for it? I, it's tough to find another show at which the attendees are more interested in comics. So San Diego, WonderCon, wonderful shows, but there are a lot of non-comics distractions. So we really right. wanted to come and do a show that is, uh, you know, valued by comics devotees. Right. Now, uh, you know, we talk a lot about all sorts of publishing news on our podcast and so Vault Comics uh, how long have you been around uh, publishing? So we, we dropped our first title February 8th 2017 so we've had books on the shelf for just over a year um, we were, uh, the, our core team was working together in another, another publishing company prior to launching Vault so we've been in this game for about four years now but Vault has been around for about 18 months. Okay, now uh as we, listeners will know, uh, I have to just ask you, what, uh, why comics, why periodicals? You're doing periodicals, and you know, this is a, a market that has a lot of uh, uh, ups, downs, certainly uh, some followers still. I mean, what, why, what, are you crazy? I mean, what's, what, Damien, tell me. <laughs> I love the medium. Uh, I love the fans of the medium. Everybody I work with feels the same way, and I think that comics fans are, are some of the smartest, most discerning consumers in the world. They read a hard medium. It's a challenging, rewarding medium. And, uh, you know, if you give them good product, they buy it. And, and we've seen that with our product line. And I'm, I'm very happy with you know, my expectations for the quality of fan base we're confirmed. Right. Now, um, I would say that you have definitely had a hit uh, with Heathens, right? Uh, tell us about that book. Heathen is a book about a young Viking woman who's exiled from her village for kissing another girl who decides that the, the best way to handle this is to go on a quest to kill the god Odin and overthrow the patriarchy. Uh, when I read that first issue, which had been published uh, uh, by Natasha through Comixology prior to that, um, it blew me away, and I said we have to do whatever we can to get this, and uh, it's really found a devoted and intensely loyal fan base. As we're talking, I'm looking behind you at someone dressed in full Adis costume. <laughs> wow. Uh, so. There there actually is. So you actually already have cosplayers for this book. She's the third one we've seen at the show. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, and there is tons of cosplay here. And I will say it is deep cuts at Emerald City. Uh, it's pretty spectacular here. Uh, yeah, what 
So, I, I mean, look, you, you have to admit, you know, selling periodical comics right now isn't... It's hard. Yes, it's, it's hard. not. It's not a slam dunk. It's not no. like you're selling coffee or yogurt or something like that. So, so how did you get a book? Uh, it's by no- Natasha Alterici, correct? Yes. And uh, I remember uh, you'd sent me the book and I read it and I wasn't quite sure who you were and I was like, oh, not another one. And uh, but you know, I read it and I was like, oh, this is really good. And I mean, the exact same thing. Um, so, how do you think? Getting, you know, the getting Heathen to find its audience. I mean, how did you go about doing that as a kind of brand new publisher? Well, Heathen has a really easy two-word pitch, right? I can say to you, it's a book about lesbian Vikings. Yes. And that hits home immediately for the readers that are going to enjoy that book. And those readers turn out to be surprisingly diverse. (laughs) So the the book really was, was crafted to hit the right note with its audience so marketing that book was no challenge at all Um, some of our other books that we've had you know varying degrees of success with have been harder to market Uh, but to circle back to your point about the challenges of periodicals right now I I think it was a challenge worth taking up I think the the comics audience deserves a quality of content and a publisher that's putting together a curated focused product so you how many titles a year do you publish uh, 12 to 15 wow that's a lot <laughs> <laughs> it is but when you contrast it to image or dynamite or you know, any of these uh, other uh, I'm going to say so called not to disparage them because I think it's a little tough to think of image as an independent publisher right um when we contrast that with a product line like the one Image is putting out, it's, it's actually pretty small. It's pretty focused. Right, right. It's still, I mean, uh, you know, that putting out periodical comics is definitely, uh, I haven't done it myself, you know, it's a lot of work. Getting them out in time is very, very difficult um, sometimes. But honestly, I mean, I'm not saying that uh, to, to you know, uh, put you down. I mean, I, there's a lot of buzz about Vault Comics. I mean, I, I mean that honestly. I keep, you know, like there's definitely something coming here, and I, I keep hearing people talking about it more and more. To be honest, well, I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> That's obviously our goal. Right, right, right. So, what other kind of books do you put out? I mean, is there? You said it's a curated line. I mean, is there a editorial focus or? Well, the, a... the brand is broadly a science fiction and fantasy. That's what we focus on. We publish every conceivable subgenre thereof. Um, I say that with a with a caveat, which is that I've been begging people for a good sword and sorcery book, and no one wants to write it. So I'm hoping that will come. I'm saying this now on your podcast, okay. hoping someone will send that my way. Um, but I, I felt like these genres, broadly construed, were sort of underserved in the market. Uh, you know, I, I know there's some brilliant sci-fi titles that come out now and then from Image, but it's not really their bread and butter, nor is fantasy. And there's an enormous amount of crossover uh, between readers of both genres. And then, you know, we're, we're talking about publishing periodical comics, but we do have to take a nod to the importance of the book market. And this is a market in which being a genre-focused publisher is really the only way to step in successfully. Right. Have you put out graphic novels yet? Have you put out any collections? Uh, So, Heathen has been collected in trade paperback. We have a couple other trade paperbacks coming out in April. We released our first hardcover original graphic novel written by multiple New York Times bestseller Kevin J. Anderson. Um, We just signed a very exciting project with another flagship fantasy writer. 
which we'll be putting out a release about later this week. So we've got some very exciting stuff coming so, in the book. Market. So you're working with some big players now. We, we are indeed. We have uh, our foreign rights are represented by a, a really wonderful agent out of New York who also happens to have some you know, major clients. And uh, we've got a really good working relationship with him. And I'm really excited to be working with some of his, his other clients. Right. That's interesting you mentioned foreign rights. I mean, that obviously is... Uh, you know, that's kind of one of the secret funding sources of comics, isn't it? Like when you do get titles going out there and sell the, the, the rights, is that was that part of your business plan right away? That was part of our business plan from the outset, as I'm sure you know. You know, that the, the average French citizen spends about six times as much on comics annually as the average American. The average Japanese citizen spends about 18 times as much annually <laughs> as the average American. So these are really important markets to tap. And, you know, uh, in addition to selling foreign rights, we have some other long-term growth strategies to, to monetize those markets. Mm-hmm. Right. So tell us about some of the rest of the vault line. Um, I know there's a book that you're doing that's kind of an event that you have different creators, and I'm blanking on the name because it's uh, Sunday. So it, it, we have a, a new creator-owned shared universe called Cult Classic. Yes, The first title it. of which, written by Elliot Rahal, is called Return to Whisper. That came out this past Wednesday and uh, sold out at the sold out at Diamond. We sold out of the print for first print run, and I've heard from every retailer I, I spoke to at the show that it sold out on their shelves on Wednesday too. So we're rushing that back for a second printing. Um, it's a uh, it's imagine Goonies gone wrong. So some kids in the '90s find a, a buried treasure that has a horrible curse on it, and the curse starts to bear fruit uh, in their 20s and 30s. Ah, okay, all right. Uh, and now you said that's a shared universe. I mean, how does that work? Well, Elliot, uh, in coordination with my brother Adrian, who's the editor-in-chief at Vault, uh, is, is curating a line of related titles from a variety of creators um, with points of overlap. It's all set in the fictional town of Whisper, uh, you know, the most haunted hamlet yeah. in America. Oh, dear. And uh, <laughs> so we have, we have you know, lots of crossover there. But there's a lot of freedom to play in the sandbox that Elliot's created. And we have some really great creators coming on uh, to, to work on shorts and other pieces in the universe. Right, right. Um, I mean, you know, once again, uh, I would say that that's, you know, a pretty, pretty ambitious idea for, you know, a publisher that's only a year old. So, you know, but you, you said you had another company before this and also it's a family affair correct it's you and your brother it's my brother my cousin and i uh form the sort of core team so i run all of our operations adrian curates the brand he's our editor-in-chief and my cousin nathan works as our art director and you know sort of supervises the look and feel of everything alongside tim daniel who's an industry veteran who's designed more cover dresses than you could imagine (laughs) well your books do look very good i I gotta say that they have a really great sense of design and uh for sure that definitely helps kind of elevate them above you know some of the other offerings out there um what what about you and your own personal like journey into comics i mean what made you were you reading them as a kid or you know what's your personal story i've been making comics and writing fiction as long as i can hold a pen Um, it turns out that i'm a morbidly bad artist and like no one should ever have my art inflicted upon them um, my cousin Nathan, on the other hand, turned out to be a pretty brilliant artist. So we got into making comics and collaboration as a family. Uh, we self-published some some graphic novels, um, some of which I think you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. So uh, you gave us a really lovely review of The Gifted many yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, that was a really I really liked that book. It's a, a an animal wolf drama, and but very well done. Very, uh, still, still good. 
You should bring that back. Bring back a new edition. We we have we have some plans to bring that back and conclude it as a nice hardcover edition in the not too distant future. Um, I my background is actually as an academic philosopher, so that's what I was doing before I I came into the, the business of running a comic company full time. Um, it's a sort of strange transition, but you know you have to answer a lot of tough questions. You have to ask a lot of tough questions in comics, and it turns out that you know getting a doctorate in philosophy preps you for that fairly well. Well, uh, I you just like this straight line is coming at me so strongly, and I, I can't even hit it. It's like that wizard was. Uh, you do. I mean, you do have to be very philosophical about being in the comics industry, and so uh, that might be the best prep of all. I, I, I agree, Damien. Um, so tell us just some of the other exciting things that are coming from Vault. Well, we just signed a really big licensing deal that I, I can't yet announce that I'm very excited about. Um, working with a, you know, a really classic RPG property that's going to be coming back in a big way this year, and I'm really happy to be involved in their relaunch. Um, we've got some exciting developments for big and small screen in the works. And so, you know, as, as everyone knows, one, one of the amazing things about comics is that, you know, so much IP that is exploited in other media originates here. Right. You know, comics really has its finger on the pulse of the American audience. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, even looking at, because almost every day Netflix makes some kind of announcement. I mean... About and it's some book that you know you barely remember, and uh, some of them are you know been surprise hits actually. Indeed, yeah. yeah. And so we're we're really keen to move forward on some of those fronts, and uh, we've got some plans to expand uh, into into YA titles in the start of 2019, which we're really looking forward to. So, um, you, you know, there's been quite a bit of talk, just you know, specifically about 2017, and you know, a little bit of rough market conditions. Um, you know, obviously, you're, you're studying this, and you know, have a great philosophy about this business. Oh man, did you see what I did there? Uh, so, what do you what do you think of like this kind of you know downturn, a rough patch that the industry has hit right now? What do you what do you think is going to lift us out of that? So, comics is a curious business in that. Uh, at least a, a rough predictor of sales data is made available publicly. Right? This doesn't happen in the broader book market. It doesn't happen in the pharmaceutical market. Right? You can see quarterly reports from the companies selling the titles, but you know Ingram isn't out there releasing its sales data. Uh, so sometimes I think that comics goes through uh, unwarranted crises of confidence, and I think to some degree we're in one right now. 2017 was a tough year for some key players in the industry, but it was a great year for other uh, titles or other publishers in the industry, and it was not a tough year, particularly for independent presses. You know, we, we continue to comprise some forty percent of the market, and uh, we didn't see a lot of shrinkage. There. Really? So, so I mean, launching in twenty seventeen, and you know, what turned out to be a tough retail environment, but but you know, more, more specifically, just you know, for Marvel, um, I mean, did you? Did you find that retailers were still were still eager to see what a new publisher could bring? So the the curious challenge for us is you know how to get our books in, into more retail outlets. We do very well in the retailers who, who stock our titles. I regularly receive emails, phone calls, etc., saying they have trouble keeping our books on the shelf. Uh, so. For us, it's always been a question of how do we get the, the, that store that only stocks Marvel DC Image to try a vault title. Right. When we do, we always get positive feedback. Right, so. right. So it's just that overcoming that initial 
that initial curiosity. Um, are you going to be at the Diamond Summit? Are you going to the next retailer meeting? Or I, I'll probably be in attendance at the Diamond Summit. We won't be giving a presentation, right. you know, because that costs diamonds. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. So maybe next time or down maybe the road. Next time. Yeah. Well, well, you know what? It's good not to do things until you're ready to do them. So I really would have loved to do Comics Pro this year. It's just unfortunate scheduling back to back. Right, right. Right. It is. It's it's a pretty brutal schedule. Um, well, uh, congratulations on uh, you know all the great buzz that you're getting here at Emerald City, and uh, thank you. And I'm I'm sure we'll be uh, meeting again on yeah, this convention. Thanks so much trip. for stopping to talk with us. It's always a pleasure to, to run into you. Absolutely. That, once again, that's uh, Damian Wassel of Vault Comics, and there will be more to come. Hi, welcome back to more to come at Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, and so we are continuing our coverage. And right now I am with Lila Sturgis, the writer. Uh, she is here. Uh, Lila, you're just wandering around, soaking it up, all up. What have you been doing? I have just been wandering around. So often um, when, you do, when you're doing conventions, you have work that you have to do. And you don't always get to do the things you want to do. And this was a great opportunity for me to just come and talk to people and say hi. And I'm on two panels. Mm -hmm. That's literally all I have to do. So it's almost more a vacation. Well, I get the feeling that that's the way it is for a lot of people here. I mean, the socializing aspect of this con is off the charts. I mean, for all groups, really. It's been a lot of fun for me. Um, you know, I'm transgender, and I just transitioned last year. And this is my second Emerald City as Lila. Mm -hmm. And I had been before um, in my previous life, and was socializing with a whole different group of people, mostly, <laughs> mostly men. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but it was a very different feel. And being here now, that I, I met some fantastic women last year, uh, and I've run into more again this year, and I feel so much more at home in the community of, of mm -hmm. the women who are in comics who come to the show. And it's, it's really fulfilling. It makes me feel really happy to that's, be here. That's wonderful. You know, I actually wanted to talk to you about that a little bit because... Uh, well, we met yesterday at the, uh, yesterday, like time is totally, like, <laughs> is elastic here. So I think it actually happy. was, it was yesterday. It was. At 7 a.m., which uh, if anyone is a regular listener knows is a no man's land for me. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we met at the women's breakfast we and uh, I was like, oh, let's do, go do the podcast. And uh, I felt, I think I was telling you that I was going to get elf ears. Mm -hmm. Right, and I went and did it, and it was great. Yeah. And I walked around, and I had such a great time doing it. And it really kind of made me more empathetic to that whole experience of being in the community and being accepted by it. I guess mm -hmm. so. I mean, I really felt like um, you know how important that is. And this show really seems to be very big on that, right? It or does. Um... When I came here last year, I was on a Vertigo panel, mm -hmm. and it was the first time I'd done a panel since I came out, and, um, and I said something about a fact, and there was applause in the audience, mm -hmm. you know, and then after the, the panel, people came up to me, and they're like, oh my gosh, her Lila, that's so neat, and there were, I've met tons of queer people, queer mm -hmm. fans, uh, and there's lots and lots of them here, there's lots of queer yeah. folks, there's lots of, and it's a very queer-friendly city for the most part, Seattle, mm -hmm. so I think that has a lot to do with it. I feel very comfortable here, I right, like it a lot. Right, and I, I mean, I just see that, I mean, they have a lot of um, facilities, they have a lot of panels, there's a lot of programming, and I think that's one of the reasons why this is such a fast-growing show, and it hasn't been taken over by 
<clears throat> by showbiz and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because because it really seems to be more about that that authentic experience. I hate to use the word authentic because it's such a buzzword, right? Right, and now authentic itself is starting to feel inauthentic. Right, so exactly. Yeah, we do. We do need a new word. So, um, well, that's, you know, you know, so you were last year. Now, now you're best known uh, for writing Jack of Fables. That's right. Which ran for 50 issues, is very substantial, mm-hmm. and you come from the Austin scene, right? That's like right. you were friends with Bill Willingham and Chris Roberson. And, I was. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. So I know of Chris. That's how I met him also. Like uh-huh. he was kind of the, like when I worked at Vertigo, Chris was actually pitching me on some stuff. So, so That's right. right. I, I remember, Chris and I were, have been best friends since college. And I, I remember he was telling me about the thing that he was pitching you when he was Right, he right, was so right. so excited. And I thought, Chris, you'll never work in comics. This is a pipe dream. You're insane. <laughs> never going to happen for right, you. Right, um, right. Of course, I was wrong. Yeah. Well, I, oh, go on. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I didn't think writing comics was a job you can you could do. I always wanted to do it, but it just seemed, like, impossible. Like, who who does that? Mm-hmm. So I was trying to have, you know, more realistic ambitions for myself. Yeah. And well, then, you you wrote two books, right? Fantasy novels? I wrote two fantasy novels. Uh-huh. And I, I one of them, uh, Bill Willingham put in Shelley Bond's hands. She was the editor of Fables. Mm-hmm. Jack of Fables and she liked it and so when it came time to do Jack of Fables as a spin-off they asked me if I would come in as a co-writer mm-hmm. and that's how I, that's how my whole career got started right now you hadn't written comics up to that point I hadn't I hadn't <laughs> written a single comic <laughs> well that's not true I did and someday someone will find this in like in a drawer somewhere at DC I wrote an a, a, uh, an inventory issue of Fables mm-hmm. that was drawn by Tony Akins who drew Jack of Fables mm-hmm. and that's in someone's drawer right. so someday Jamie Rich is going to be cleaning right. out his office and right. he's going to find it and, right yeah. um, but I mean you know Fables was already a very well known book at this time and mm-hmm. it's a really passionate fan base is that fair to say? very passionate fan base <laughs> yeah. and reactions to Jack of Fables were mixed mm-hmm. and it's funny now looking back um, on it because the sort of the defining trait of Jack of Fables is that he is a sort of raging male id and mm. there's a lot of um, there's a lot of poking fun at toxic masculinity in that book which is interesting for me now looking back uh, being able to tell everyone oh yeah by the way I'm a woman mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and re- you know reflecting on that um, for a lot of, of trans people I don't want to go too far down the trans rabbit hole but I think that performing that that kind of masculinity, even with a wink and a nod, mm-hmm. um, is really important because you're trying to maintain your identity, right? Mm-hmm. And that was at a time before I really thought that I would want to transition or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I did that, and I did another a very almost toxically uh, farcical book called Four Norsemen of the Apocalypse <laughs> that I wrote during the time um, when I was really struggling with transitioning. And that book is, it's like Jack of Fables, only worse. It's about four guys who are in Valhalla who break out of the, break out of it so they can go to this other afterlife where there's women so they can, <laughs> they can bang chicks. It's like, and it's just really dark and unpleasant. And it's like, obviously I had some demons to work out. Right, yes. yeah, yeah. So at that time you, uh, had you begun to, or I, don't, I mean, I don't know, like, if you want to talk about it, sure, but, sure, sure. but I mean, at this point, had you been, were you aware that you were going to transition or had started to transition? I or? hadn't started to. I knew, um, I knew for sure that I was trans and that I wasn't sure if I was going to do anything about it. Mm. I thought maybe I would just keep hiding forever. That seemed like a good strategy, maybe. Right. Um, and I did that for about five years before I finally realized that I couldn't hide anymore. Mm. And so, but it was a big struggle. And I think if you look at my creative output, 
during those years, you'll see a significant dip mm -hmm. where it's just me like struggling to get through each day thinking, oh my God, what am I? Who am I? What am mm -hmm. I going to do with my life? It's really hard to be your best creative self when you're right, dealing with stuff right. like that. I, I did read one interview you, with you, uh, and I think it's actually on Barnes & Noble yeah. site there. So I would urge readers to, or listeners to go check out this interview with Lila on Barnes & Noble because you do talk a lot about it. And uh, one of the things that you point the reasons you say you go into your story at such length is to say to other people who are questioning, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe ready to transition but are afraid to, yes. that just do it, right? <laughs> is that kind of the is that fair, or how would you put it? That's something I spend a lot of time talking about, like mm -hmm. on social media, mm -hmm. is that um, I try to allay people's fears about the things that might go wrong if they transition. So much of the time that I spent during that five year period was. Well, I can't transition because I'm too old, I can't transition because I'm too tall, and I can't transition because this and that and the other thing. Um, there's one, there is one good reason not to transition, and that's because if you wouldn't be safe, mm -hmm. and you feel right. like you can't be safe and transition, then that's something you got to deal with. But I think for most of the people that I know, most, certainly most people that are like following me on Twitter or who are going to be listening to this interview, like that's not the issue. The issue is just fear, right. and realizing that on the other side of that fear is a lot, is wholeness and joy and... Um, and, and that a lot of the things that you were terrified of turn out to be not actually that those aren't the problems right, you know what I mean right. those aren't the things you end up dealing like you do end up dealing with a lot of crap but it's not the stuff that you thought it was right right <laughs> interesting well now you said that you're working on um, I think like last year you like when you said you were on a vertigo panel last year and you were doing like one last fables spinoff mm -hmm. is that correct That's and, right. right and what are you working on now uh, right now I've got I've got two things that I'm working on one is a um, it's a graphic novel adaptation of a novel that is also a TV series um, that hasn't been announced yet. But it, to me, the salient thing about that was that in this, this stage of my career, I don't want to do straight cis white guy narratives. Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with mm -hmm. straight cis white. Some of my best friends. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but those aren't the stories that I want to tell anymore. Mm -hmm. And this book had a straight cis white guy protagonist. And I said, if we're going to adapt this, what if we did it about this character over here who's a woman and tell the story from her point of view instead. And also, I'm not going to do it if we can't do that. Right. And they were like, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So this hasn't been announced. We can't talk about who the publisher is. That's or... right. I can't talk about anything. Okay, well. Then but... I, I just sold another graphic novel that is uh, that is something that's prayed around. that's very close to my heart. It's a YA graphic novel. Uh, it's a trans coming-of-age story. Mm -hmm. Right. So, mm -hmm. well, you also mentioned in... in, um, in yeah, your interviews that you want to create this kind of narrative so that, because there's a lack of narratives for trans youth and, yes. and to, to find their these kind of stories for them, right? That's right. And, you know, trans and queer representation, it, that whole conversation about representation and visibility is something that's happening a lot in all over media and especially in comics and it's really beautiful to see that conversation happening. Um, and the, the follow-through needs to be that Publishers and creators need to be making that content in ways that, you know, a young trans kid, you know, the, the, the purpose of the book that I'm writing is to make a fun story for kids, but it's also to be like if there is the 13-year-old trans girl who's struggling with am I trans, this book explores that right. in a safe fantasy way. Mm -hmm. um, and so for a young trans girl to be able to see that in a book in a way that I never possibly could have when I was young, and avoid all the confusion that I went to, all the confusion that I went through is huge for me. So right. I definitely have an agenda uh, <laughs> to what I'm doing. 
but right. hopefully uh, they'll all, they'll be good books first. Right, right. Well, that's true. You know, that's true. I mean, actually, you have a copy here of As the Crow Flies by Melanie Gilman. I do. And uh, it just so happened, I love this book to death. It is so good. And, uh, you know, it's won quite a few awards. And uh, I know Melanie, I'm not going to even guess. I, I, I know Melanie goes by they. I think mm-hmm. she's non-binary, how she identifies. I'm not sure how she identifies. I just met her She, and I just morning. did it wrong. <laughs> how they identify. Well, I apologize. All, you know what, we're all doing our best. Yes, we are. And, um, you know, our, Melanie is, has written this book. But, and, you know, she, uh, they are not trans mm-hmm. uh, necessarily. But uh, the story does deal with trans issues in mm-hmm. a really powerful I thought way I, you know nor are they uh, a woman of color and right. the protagonist is a, is, a, is a girl a queer girl of color and um, there was a lot of talk about uh, Christopher Priest came out and said how who's as a writer a man of color and how he was saying that uh, you know they're like why did you leave comics it's because I only want you know all they ever offered me was writing about um, black characters and right. I said finally they said do you want to do Deathstroke and, uh, and he said yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's all and then he kind of gave this talk about I can write anything I am yes. a writer yes. you know um, and I mean is that like I mean do you worry about being pigeonholed or I mean I mean, obviously it's something that right now is very important to mm-hmm. you so I mean how do you see that that um, you know, path forward for you. It's funny that you asked that. I was just thinking about that with respect to my own career recently about, I think that there's a part of me that feels like, oh, I have this responsibility to do these things because I can maybe make someone's life better or easier. Um, but at the same time, like, I'm also a person and I get to like things and do things <laughs> that just because they're fun. Right, right. Um, and... So sort of balancing that is is really interesting. And also, too, yeah, I don't have to just write trans things because I'm trans. Like, I'm also other things. Right, right, yeah. Um, But I do do think about it a lot. And right now, it's true, I am really interested in in things that, that center trans and other queer people. But that may not remain the case, you know. I, for I, I'm a person who gets on kicks, right? And so for a long time, I thought being trans itself was a kick. <laughs> I thought, I'll just get over this, and then it'll be something else. Right, I'll get right. into uh, you know salsa dancing or something. But it never went away. Um, but I think sometimes the, the fascination with being trans, or maybe the fascination with expressing that to other people, um, or or being an advocate that might be something that over time I'm like okay you know what I did that right maybe it's, I'd like to do something else right and then right. everybody's like but you're the trans one <laughs> yeah you can't do a thing that's not a trans right, one right right so maybe I could shoot myself in the foot with that. I don't know but it'd be a fine way to shoot yourself I well guess. I think it all goes in cycles and and one thing I also read all these pieces that were about you know like unfortunately this message that Christopher Priest had got picked up by some very bad elements who I wouldn't even go into because mm-hmm. it seemed to back up their own narrative but what they don't understand is that for marginalized groups to be invited to the table to pitch for Deathstroke mm-hmm. is not happening so right. you know so it's not like like there are a million Christopher Priests out there exactly. you know and so I think I think right now we're going through a cycle and being here at this show and seeing all the amazing creators who are everywhere on the gender spectrum who mm-hmm. are queer and non-binary and uh, trans and just the, also the creators of color and like mm-hmm. all races and it's like how they are coming up you know like people like Vida Ayala and yes. so on and, and you know the success that they're having here and being uh, it's great listen Emerald City is great <laughs> I guess that's what I'm rambling on and I just see the future here 
I could not agree more. It makes me so happy when I see um, when I see creators like Vita, uh, who has a really clear, strong voice and is a very talented writer, um, and who is centering queer people of color, mm-hmm. and that's their thing. Right. Um, and that's amazing. And I, I, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. And obviously, some people don't want that conversation to happen. So yeah, well, screw them. But yeah, I could not <laughs> possibly care less what they think. I know. I think it's I think it's wonderful, and I think it's it's a, a renaissance in comics that mm-hmm. is long overdue, and I'm happy to see it. Right, right. Well, you know, uh, would you ever uh, go to talking about your future work? I mean, would you want to write novels again or stick with comics? I mean, what's what's most interesting for you? I well, I, I would like to be able to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Job it, one. It would be it'd be wonderful if I could afford to pay for my kids to go to college. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anything that I write will ever accomplish that. Um, I would love to write um, some novels. I'm working on a TV pilot right now, um, and I think anything like that. I'm not too caught up in any one particular medium. Like I like comics a lot. I also like prose. I also like mm-hmm. TV. Um, and I mean comics is where I've done most of my work but it's not the only thing that I want to do um, but my intentions are the same across all those media it's just maybe different routes to getting there right right um, are there uh, some authors who, like who are the authors that you really love or like you know getting into fantasy like who are some of the authors you read as a kid who you still you know hold dear to your heart oh my goodness um, well you know Ursula K. Le Guin just passed away recently yeah. and she was someone who was near and dear to me at so many stages in my development um, because when I was a kid the Earthsea books really spoke yeah. to me so much they're so beautiful and so deep oh, so yes. I'm getting misty thinking yeah, about I'm it yeah same here same here um, and then for you know a gender confused young adult reading The Left Hand of Darkness was really kind of a revelation right and she just kept generating really fascinating you know social SF for years and years and years and years. I think she was a huge one. I was really weirdly into the Dune series. Oh. Like I had a whole thing for those books. Right. And I've read them maybe a dozen times each. Really? The original series. I don't know why. I'm so fascinated by the depth of the world building. Right. I think I, just, I like to be able to disappear into a rich, deep world that seems like it goes on forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I read those once and I never came back to them. But maybe that's something that's awaiting me in the... And the you know the remainder of my life, I shall return to Dune. I Maybe think. so. You know, it's kind of, and of course, like anything now, looking back, it's kind of misogynistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of um, there's some homophobia in it. Just yeah. like, really, just like totally unnecessary. Like, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. some of these women are sleeping together, and we don't like it. it right. has nothing to do with the story. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to let you know, I'm not for this. Yes, unfortunately, a lot of those classic sci-fi writers were. Uh, you know, had some very odd ideas they about really all did. that stuff. And I'm wondering if maybe, like, was Heinlein, like, crazy? Or was he, like, a visionary? Like, are we going to be living in Heinlein's world in, like, 30 years? Where it's, like, everybody's just like, hey, I see you over there. You're some kind of a person. Let's have sex and get married. <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll live with seven other people. We're all doing the same thing. It's like, it's like hey, there's no rules. So there's like no we're, boundaries. We're all just, like, converging into yeah. the same thing. <laughs> well, you know, I think that was actually one of the... Uh, the uh, gathering ideas of, of uh, sci-fi writers back in the 50s was, you know, open open relationships and, you know, a lack of those kind of boundaries of, of uh, you know, sexuality. Uh, but, yeah, didn't, the women, unfortunately, usually just came out on the bottom. I mean, it wasn't... They really did. And there, there was just, there was one particular kind of Heinlein woman who's a brilliant... Oh. 
utterly submissive, yeah. utterly seductive. He wrote the one book that had a female protagonist, Podcane of Mars. I never read that one. Oh, yeah. I read it when I was a kid. And, like, he literally just took the male persona of the hard living, you know, uh, screw everything, you know, uh, or, you know, shoot it all, I'm the smartest, I'm the best, and put it on her. And, and it was shocking to me because she was very, like, you know, she was sleeping with everybody and didn't mm-hmm. care about it. And, you know, at that time, uh, I was like, oh, no, you know, she shouldn't do that. And then I was like, eh, you know what? I mean, it didn't work. It was so just a, a, a you know, a guy that, mass, you know, it wasn't a female character at all. It was just like, a you know, written from his viewpoint. Of so. course. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, nobody talks about that book anymore. Isn't that funny? That's funny. Uh, I, I don't know that I have heard of it. Yeah, maybe I'm imagining it. I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. Maybe I made up this book. Maybe this is one of those things where, like, you're from a different universe than I am, mm. and we're overlapping yeah. now. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Well, uh, uh, um, uh, Lila, it sounds like you have these two really cool projects coming that mm-hmm. are... I wish in, I could I know, they're secret, and she she, uh, she hasn't been able to tell us about them, but uh, I'm sure that when you do, we will, we will be to, uh, announcing them and uh, talking about them at Publishers Weekly and on the beat at comicsbeat.com. Uh, Lila, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Thank you so much for having me, Heidi. Yeah, definitely. So, as always, there'll be more to come. Okay. All right. Once more, Heidi McDonald for PW Comics World. I am still at Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, Maybe I will always be here. Uh, Now I have the pleasure of sitting down with Anne Bean, who is the founder of Emerald Comics Distro. Now... And welcome. Thank you. Um, now, on, on More to Come, we talk a lot about the comics business. We talk a lot about distribution. And uh, you have come up a couple times on our podcast. Uh, and now to be able to sit down with you is so thrilling. Maybe only to me. <laughs> but um, Emerald City, Emerald Comics Distro uh, is a small comics distribution company. Yes. And as, as we know, Diamond is the biggest. But uh, you bravely have started your own company. What is it? Uh, what is Emerald Comics Distro? So I do direct sales to bookstores and comic shops, um, which at this point looks like I'm just regional in the Pacific Northwest. I'm literally driving my car around mm-hmm. with boxes of books and selling to about 23 stores. Mm-hmm. Um, I am expanding somewhat still within the Pacific Northwest region, and eventually I would like to do mail order wholesale again to comic shops and bookstores. Um, What am I selling? I am selling comics by self-published creators and small presses. Mm -hmm. So in the realm of distro, um, you've got Diamond, you've got book distribution, even small press distribution within book distribution, but I'm sort of filling in the gap for people that don't necessarily put out enough titles to get into like small press distribution or consortium mm-hmm. um, and don't necessarily meet the bar for Diamond. Right. Uh, and not meeting the bar for Diamond does not is not any re- reflection on quality. Nope. Um, who are some of your clients? Who do you work with? Um, folks that are here at the, at the con, I work with Lucy Bellwood, mm-hmm. uh, who I distribute her mini comics. So she just came out with her awesome new book, right, right. 100 Demon Dialogues. But I distribute her mini comics that are about uh, boats and sailing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I distribute Corey Bing's webcomic Skin Deep, the okay. collected trade paperbacks of that. Um, I distribute a press called Karate Pet Shop Press mm. that had an Eisner-nominated title uh, that's called Ricky. It's a retelling of Ricky Tiki Tavi. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, I met with them yeah. in, uh, in Long Beach, actually. Yeah, I was I... on a panel with him, and he oh, was talking right. about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I carry both of that book and their book, Tap Water and Peanut mm. Party. Yeah, so uh, Ricky's a really good book, actually. It I is. Mean, that's a strong book. No, so, um, and Lucy Bellwood. I mean, I was also on a panel with her, so, oh, what a small world. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I mean, her work is great. And, um, so you, I, I, you know, what you're talking about is, goes back to the very beginnings of the magazine industry. It was called a rack jobber, right? (laughs) That's me. And, um, you know, there's a couple of other people who are still doing this. Um, but for a, uh, a young person, a sprightly young person, (laughs) such as yourself to decide to do this, I mean, why? Well, it started with... Me, being a comics writer, mm-hmm. making minis, I had uh, six different minis with five different artists, and mm-hmm. I'd started to bring them around to shops to either sell them wholesale or to put them on consignment, and I was like, wow, this is kind of miserable and takes a lot of work to track. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do this, I should do this for 50 other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, because it'll, it'll make me keep accurate records, and mm-hmm. two, because it just seemed like a big gap. It, it takes, you know, to do a run around and drop off comics in all all of Seattle it takes at least a full day Mm. and that's if you have a car and like the blessings of Rita goddess of parking right Um, right. (laughs) and I was seeing you know just in my community of folks that I would sit down and write or draw with and folks that I would see their work in shops I I saw a lot of good stuff that or folks that I would meet at cons Mm. good stuff that was just not necessarily getting out there and sometimes that's because dealing with shops is a pain. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's because, you know, you don't have a car and you're not going to make it to Shoreline. Right, right, right. Um, or I would see work in one shop and say, wow, this should, uh, this should be everywhere because it's yeah. great. Now, would it, the next step, I mean, this is by far the most time intensive and, you know, manpower, woman power intensive method of doing it. I mean, would yeah. you like to, I mean, automate this or? Um, there are definitely parts of this process that I need to automate and I'm working <laughs> on automating uh, for uh, sanity's sake. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. I do really enjoy doing direct in-person sales mm-hmm. though. Um, yeah. it, it feels um, like I'm building a relationship with the shops. Um, they're interested in what I have to offer because they're, they trust my taste. Sure. Um, and it's after every sale, I take a nice little Instagram photo mm. and tag all the creators. Oh my and God. That's helpful for them, A, so they can sell people where, like, literally where their books are right mm. now. But B, as it's kind of heartening as a right. creator to be like, oh my gosh, mm. my stuff's an Olympia now. So you, I mean, Honestly, it's like, uh, you know, D.C. has a direct sales representative yeah. program, and uh, although I think they might have been, uh, like, winding it down. I'm not sure they still have it, so um, uh, forgive me. But, I mean, they have, you know, they used to have three people who sat there, and they all had territory, and they would call up the sale stores and say, hey, do you need more Green Lantern? Yeah. You know, and I mean, so you do that. You say, hey, do I need more, do you need more Lucy Bellwood? And then when they say yes, you just pull the book right out then and there. Yep. So, I mean, that is a powerful sales tool. Uh-huh. I must admit, having the book and being there in person it's is a, convenient. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, but at the same time, um, so you've been doing this how long? Uh, I've had books and shops since May of 2017. Okay, so this is coming Not up. quite on, a year. <laughs> right. Now, will are you going to keep doing it? That's that's the plan. Again, Mm -hmm. moving towards as much automation as possible. And also, I'm seeking 
I'm seeking a business mentor to help me figure out mm. how to make <laughs> enough money right. to be able to not make this a one-woman show. Right, to, right, you know, right. work with other folks either in an employment or contract right. level to be able to uh, make it sane and doable to right. keep up this regional sales and also mm. try to do some national wholesaling. Right. So how... Uh, now, there are other... Uh, especially the small press. I mean, there's yeah. some kind of legendary uh, distributors. I mean, Sparkplug, you know, the late, great Dylan yeah, Williams. Yeah. I mean, he also distributed other people's books. Um, uh, you know, I know uh, Global Hobo, that was one. Um, JT Yost from yeah, Bar Cage Bottom. Yeah, Bar Cage Bottom. Still, uh, still doing it. Uh, yep. John Porcelino. Yep. Uh, I forget the name of his company. Spit and a Half. Spit and a Half, okay. yeah. You know, so there's a lot of... And usually it's like a cartoonist. So you're like, yeah. how can they possibly be be doing this as well but um so there is a really strong tradition of these kind of small distributors mm-hmm. like in the in the mini the the you know the small press world and so in the zine world yeah oh yeah zines, zines of are course ever distributed of course of course yeah so um now what kind of relationship do you have with the store i mean what's the reaction of the stores to this i guess that's the the big question um most stores are quite enthusiastic about mm-hmm. me existing um for example, Phoenix Comics in Capitol Hill um, mm. was pumped that I was doing this because they uh, take a, they have a big local section. They take comics on consignment, mm-hmm. and they had something like eighty consignment accounts um, mm. when I started working with them. And I I don't know I have a couple of dozen clients work there, so mm. the fact that um, they can write one check instead of twenty four checks right, is right. super helpful. Right. So I mean I, honestly, we've talked a lot about this. And, um, you know, there is, uh, you know, Tony Shenton. I mean, yeah. he's located on the East Coast. But, I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he really is kind of the last man standing of his, you know, he goes back to the olden days. Um, you know, so, I, I mean, not to be like, uh, you know, um, co- competition for Tony. but Because no. you handle completely different publishers. So yeah. it's more like the, the next level of that stuff. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of demand in... I hesitate to use the word industry because there are so few of us doing this, but there's a lot of demand in comics distribution that isn't currently being met, and I think there could be 20 of me, and that would be great. (laughs) I I would tend to agree with that. Did you go to Comics Pro? Uh, I did not, unfortunately. I had another commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to see what happened at Comics Pro with this kind of thing. Um, You know, what do you, what do you, I mean, your your partner is also a cartoonist, right? Yeah, well, he's an illustrator by trade, um, Uh and makes video games, but most of his illustration is um, acrylic, Mm -hmm. some digital, and he likes, he's been on an enamel pin kick lately. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, like a lot of people. That is uh, super uh, yeah. Um, I mean, do you think there's anything? Um, do you think there's anything specific about the Pacific Northwest? Do you think that this is a, a, a territory that's a little bit more open to this? It's, I mean, there's a lot of underground culture that's always mm-hmm. been kind of a Pacific Northwest thing in mm-hmm. terms of like grunge or like all of the artists right. that couldn't afford to live in the Bay Area, moved right. to Portland and, and Seattle. And now they can't now afford they can't to live in Portland and yeah, Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. Uh, I also think there's something just about the, the, the land in terms of like 
it's cold and wet and the winters are long and the only way you're going to make it through is through either alcoholism or creativity or both. So. Very, very true. Yes, that is that is another feature. Um, yeah, there's certainly like a, a really strong, um, you know, tradition of, of this kind of stuff yeah. uh, up here. And I mean, I, I definitely get the support. I mean, this show, do you always come to Emerald City? Is I it? have done for many, many years. Yeah. Um, I've only lived in Washington for maybe 12-ish years and I've come to Emerald City for about 10 of them. What do you think about the way this show has developed? So, things that I... I Again, we just did the switch over into um, Artist Alley's All right. on Sixth Floor. I'm into that because mm-hmm. it feels a little more like New York Comic Con in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, I like all of the Artist Alley being in one place. Uh, I think I'm going to have to wait a couple of years and see. I know there was just a big leadership switch. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some like minutiae stuff that is... Uh, <laughs> mm. not necessarily working right now, mm-hmm. which is all just like small stuff, right. like the Monsters and Dames list that they gave oh, out was, uh, had like people's actual names instead of artist names. Mm, so, and this is right. just because I'm sitting at a table with Mike and there's a lot of confused <laughs> people being right. like, are you Mike DiPatrillo? Yeah. Mm, mm, um, right. I'm not super bothered by it getting bigger. I know some people kind of mourned the small con, but we've got some other really red small cons in the area. Mm like short run uh, mm-hmm. if you if you need to go pure underground redness right, right. Um, so eh, I'm alright with it yeah I mean I, I just was talking uh, you know on the other uh, a segment of this podcast um, with a couple people and um, you know it's it's definitely just walking around I mean yeah. and that's what I'm doing I'm not behind a table but walking around like the, the vibe here is just so infectious it I mean is. it's just like kids and you know as we were saying we were walking down here to the press room um, like the cosplay is deep cuts, yes. like deep cuts, <laughs> which is so delightful for when you get it. And you're like, oh my gosh, you really are this really specific Tamora Fierce character, right, right. or this. Yeah. So thing. wow. Um, so yeah, what what is uh, what should we know? What's next for for Emerald Emerald Comics Distro? I mean, are you looking for more clients? You're looking for. Or... I am taking clients for a little bit, um, and I have submissions, unsolicited submissions, open until. March 15th and then I'm cutting it off for a while honestly because again one person show Mm -hmm. I do a lot of things and I have been horribly neglecting my submissions queue Mm -hmm. and I need some time to get through that Uh, so if you have minis ready to go right now that you want to sell wholesale Mm -hmm. please submit through emeraldcomicsdistro.com otherwise know that I'll reopen submissions in a few months right 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 well you know listen it's it's you are uh, a real American hero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is, well, you know, when we first heard about Emerald Comics, so we did definitely talk about it on the podcast. We are like, what, is she crazy? You know, I'm <laughs> yes. sitting here with Anne. She doesn't seem crazy. She seems I mean, like you're... <laughs> crazy like a fox. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, uh, there is such a huge need for this kind of stuff. Uh, this kind of small distribution, and um, but we'll be very, very, you know, we'll be watching you and uh, you know helping, helping out all we can, you know, like, hey, like, you. yeah. Well, good, good luck with everything, Thank Anne. You. And uh, as always, there'll be more to come. <laughs>